Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 144 of the Necessary Roughness podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. Hope you all enjoyed an eventful week four and quite the start to week five. I'm sure you guys are all exhilarated after watching that Colts Broncos game, which, trust me, we will get to in a moment. Um, however, just giving you a peek behind the curtain as we, and by we, I mean I, uh, am inclined to do here. Uh, rough schedule in terms of uh, my work this weekend, so this episode's going up real late Friday into Saturday. So if there's news that breaks during the Saturday afternoon, when you're listening to this and you say, oh, why didn't they talk about it? Why didn't Nick talk about it? I missed it. Just got to go up when we can here. So let's jump right in to my standout seven. And we have a real packed show today. So the timing of this is going to be a little tight. We're not going to go bigger story. We are going to go speed run through my thoughts, rapid fire on some of these big games from the past week. And we're going to get started right away on Thursday night football. Um, What is there to say that hasn't already been said? Both offenses... Now look, Indy had the excuse, I would say, that they didn't have Jonathan Taylor, their best offensive player. And they still rushed for just a hair over 100 yards. I mean, a handful of plays into this game. Naheem Hines, the guy that was supposed to help fill the gap of Jonathan Taylor, if you can even do that, as he's an MVP candidate, goes down with a concussion... Obviously, considering everything that's happened in the past few weeks, and we'll go into Tua in a little bit here, everything that's happened in the past few weeks involving head injuries, better safe than sorry, they kept him out, they moved on, I get it. Matt Ryan did not look great, but part of that had to do with the fact that the Denver defense, particularly the pass rush, looked pretty good. Some quality plays made in the secondary as well by my boy PS2, along with Kareem Jackson and, you know, a couple other guys chipping in. Um... The Denver offense had really no excuse in my book. I mean, Javante Williams is done for the year. That's true. That's a fact. However, I mean, you still have Russell Wilson, who's honestly not doing his legacy any any help here uh, based on the way he's playing in his second destination. But uh, all things considered, he is going to be one of those guys they will debate to be a Hall of Fame QB. You have Melvin Gordon, who at his peak was a Pro Bowl running back. At least if memory serves. I believe he was. If not, he was a top 10 back in the league. Let's call it that. You have Cortland Sutton, who looks like he could be a pretty good number one. You have Jerry Judy, who looks like he could also be a number one. Um, You have some role players like Albert O, Andrew Beck, who didn't really do much in this one. K.J. Hamler, who we'll get to in a second. You have a defense that's pretty darn good. And for the second week in a row, Denver just doesn't really do anything on the offensive side of the ball. Now, mind you, this is a game that ends 12-9, to and there was a blocked field goal. So, if you're a Bronco fan, are you saying, well, at the least, we should have been tied, or, well, we probably should have won in regulation if it wasn't for that, or are you saying, why are we throwing in the red zone when Indy has no timeouts? Why are we doing that? Why are we doing that? Why are we doing that? Uh, that would be a proper thing to ask Nathaniel Hackett, who, mind you, was an offensive-minded head coach when he was brought in to coach this team. Um, sure, sure, okay. 
You're also talking about, when we talk about uh, how bad this could have been for Denver, right before halftime, the Denver kick returner, as the game is tied, or no, sorry, it's 6-3. The Denver kick returner brings it out and starts looping around and puts the ball on the turf in a 6-3 offenseless game. What's going on there? What are we doing? I mean, at one point we had the big, I think the biggest play of the entire game, if not of regulation, was the deep shot Russell Wilson actually managed to hit, but there was an assist from the referee? I The whole thing was bizarre. This game was was bad, to the point where Al Michaels said, oh, you know, sometimes there's some games that are so bad it's good. And Kirk Herbstreit just said, uh, yeah, no, I don't know what you're talking about, Al. Um, I think Al Michaels was kind of over it. He was not a big fan of the way this game was shaken out, man. Um, and I can't blame him. I don't think the fans were either. There was audible blo- booing, excuse me, that you could hear at several different points throughout the game and picked up into the fourth quarter and especially in overtime. You saw fans leaving the stadium as the game was going to overtime. Now, look, I've never lived in Colorado. Maybe there is a fair amount of traffic. I assume when you're leaving a stadium, there's always a decent amount of traffic. But, I mean, this isn't New York City, Los Angeles, Miami, where it's one of those things where they're relatively famous for having a lot of traffic. You don't need to beat the traffic to get home here, folks. And if you're worried about getting home on time, you shouldn't have come to a Thursday night football game. Um, Okay. Then we have, in overtime, a a weird call where the referee, apparently, according to the broadcast crew and according to Matt Ryan's reaction, did not tell Matt Ryan about a play clock reset. This whole game was so odd, I don't know where to start. But I will take this away. Russell Wilson made an awful decision after they made the awful decision to throw the ball when Indy had no timeouts. He threw it right to the other team. Okay, fair enough. We get to overtime. It's fourth and one. And instead of kicking for the tie, and look, I know a lot of people don't like ties, right? I don't like ties either. The landscape of American sports, not global sports, not international sports, American-centric sports, basketball, baseball, football, and even into hockey. We do not like ties. That's not what we do here, right? Soccer, 1-1, we'll do some extra time, and then we walk it off. Okay, fair enough. Baseball, you're not going to get a tie. Basketball especially, you're not going to get a tie. We don't like ties when we see it in fights. It's just not what we do. So I can understand why you wouldn't want to play for it. But considering the fact that your defense has played great and your offense has been abysmal, why, oh why? Do you roll the die one more time? And of course, Russell Wilson completely, completely misses K.J. Hamler. Look, I had no rooting interest in this game. Do I like Russell Wilson? I think, yeah, I think he's pretty good. I like Russell Wilson well enough. I like Matt Ryan well enough. Look, who am I rooting for? I'm rooting for me because I picked the Colts. But as I'm watching this unfold, I see K.J. Hamler screaming wide open over the middle on what looked like a slant or maybe a drag or something of the sort. And he just, Russell Wilson, I don't know if he didn't see him. I'm going to assume he didn't. Because if he saw him and did not throw that football immediately, Denver Broncos fans, the only ride you're going to be taking is into the basement of the NFL. I mean, oh my goodness. And, you know, kudos to Russ after the game. He took took the blame. The blame's all on him. And it's like, well, I mean, yeah, dude, who else are they going to blame? You have a first-year head coach... So there's, an, you know, there's things that you can say about that. Maybe he'll be a one-and-done head coach. I don't know. 
but you're still the Super Bowl champion quarterback. You were brought in to be the savior, not the coach. This wasn't a situation where they brought in, like, Sean Payton and, you know, Teddy Bridgewater, right? They had Teddy Bridgewater before. They moved on. They wanted a legitimate starting NFL-caliber quarterback. And, uh, I mean, man, Russ, it's it's looking rough out there. It's looking rough, rough, rough. If I'm Nathaniel Hackett there, by the way, I'm totally playing for the tie. And if Indy finds a way to score in two minutes after only scoring 12 points in 68 of the other minutes, you know what? I'll say our defense was the stronger unit, and I let my defense decide it. I think you can live with that more than you can live with an awful, awful, awful play out of your new franchise quarterback. And I will harp on this once more. A man who is already on a two-year deal and got a five-year extension. Let's ride, Denver. Because you're going to be on this roller coaster for a long time. Keeping it trucking here. Speed round. And it's really a shame that I had so much other stuff I wanted to talk about. Because there were some great games. But we'll get to all of them. Buffalo and Baltimore. Dude. Like. Alright, look. I picked Buffalo. I'm on the Buffalo hype train. But I'm also on the Baltimore hype train. I thought this may be legitimately an AFC championship game preview. And I'm looking at 14-3 at the end of the first, and I'm like, whoa, Baltimore, what's going on here? You guys are coming out hot. And I'm very concerned, and I don't know about you, Baltimore fan. In the comments, let me know if there is a comment section where you're listening, or on social media, all social media, at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. Are you, I mean, obviously, you're not going to be happy, but are you optimistic that you at least are able to grab leads against these good teams? I mean, it's, it's kind of a condescending question, right? I mean, Josh Allen winds up throwing a pick on the third play of the game. It might have been deflected. I didn't really see a great replay of it. Um, Baltimore essentially winds up getting ball first in both halves. When you have a pick on the third play of the game, I mean, it's 20-10 to 10 at half, and it's raining, which favors Baltimore even more slowly, Josh Allen and the Buffalo offense work their way back in, and now it's 20-13, to 13. okay, they get it back, okay, it's 20-20 to 20 on the road in the rain, and then Lamar Jackson with a completely atrocious, atrocious, probably the worst throw he'll even attempt all season, on fourth and goal, tries to go to the corner of the end zone into double coverage with at least two receivers there too, don't know who he was throwing it to, Jordan Poyer, who notably... Did not play against Miami, right? We saw Miami make some plays in the passing game that had Buffalo's secondary been a little bit healthier, I said last week I was, you know, questionable on whether they would have been made. We see Jordan Poyer come up with a huge play, then, you know, huge scramble by Josh Allen, and then, I, I don't know, they wind up just essentially pounding it out, and Buffalo wins this one 23-20. I mean, if you're a Buffalo Bills fan, you're ecstatic, right? I mean, you'd love to blow out everybody. But considering you're coming off of a tight loss to Miami, it's kind of a statement game, right? Everybody's riding the Lamar Jackson hype train. It's week four, by the way, at the time of this. It's week four, and we're riding an MVP hype train already. Um, But to each their own, I guess. You got to get your bets in when you can. This Buffalo team comes out, and they're immediately punched in the mouth after arguably, 
I don't want to call it choking against Miami, but I mean, Josh Allen makes that throw, which he makes 90 times out of a hundred and they take the lead and they win that game. Um, neither here nor there. This was a, a bit of a statement in my opinion, especially considering, as I said, the conditions favored Baltimore, the games in Baltimore. I mean, it's raining. You're looking at a game where Josh Allen ran the ball 11 times for 70, pretty much matching what Lamar did on the ground. But Lamar was only able to throw for a buck 44, and he threw two big interceptions. The second of which was massive. Um, A little bit of a regression to the mean from the receiving core. I was pretty impressed with what I saw in the earlier games with Rashad Bateman and some of the other guys. Mark Andrews didn't really do much in this game either. Um, He was on the field. He may have been the target of the ill-fated interception, which kind of put the nail in the coffin, uh, so to speak. Looking back, obviously put the nail in the coffin. I mean, when you have Justin Tucker, any situation in field goal range needs to be treated with kid gloves, I feel like, because it's almost an automatic make. Um, I don't know what Lamar was going for, but uh, bad play, big win for Buffalo. And if you're Baltimore, I mean, we're going to talk some standings later because we've got some things to discuss, but you're putting yourself in a pickle here because you are now tied with Cleveland and Cincinnati. If Cleveland can tread water in this division until Deshaun Watson gets back, it's going to get spicy in the last five, six games of the year. Pittsburgh, mm, we'll talk about them later. Not so much. Also wanted to touch on Carolina and Arizona because I said coming into this week, I needed to see something from Carolina. I was big on Carolina. I think we might see Baker Mayfield get benched at some point this season. I don't know what's going on. I like the weaponry that they have in the receiving core. I mean, obviously, I like Christian McCaffrey. He's Christian McCaffrey. Um, I like the Carolina defense. Maybe Carolina should have traded for Russell Wilson, man. I don't know. Then again, hmm, I don't know. It would be kind of a push. You get what I'm saying, though. Like, I thought Baker Mayfield changes scenery. He has talent. At least I thought so. He comes in here and, I mean... This is a very winnable game. Kyler goes for 207, right? Like, they still don't have DeAndre Hopkins, so they're very gettable. Hollywood Brown goes for 88 yards and a touchdown. He's been playing pretty well for this Arizona team, by the way. He's still got a little bit of a dropsies, but he's been playing pretty well. It's... I had to throw it in here because I'm... I'm barely hanging on on the Carolina bandwagon. And they play San Francisco this week, so this... You go to 1-4... and It's going to be real, real, real hard to make the postseason. I'll leave it at that. Combined with the fact, and I wanted to touch on this, early in the game, Carolina's going for it fourth down in their own territory. And and then this was a game with three or four fourth down attempts in their own territory. Well, no, fourth down attempts in general, but at least two in their own territory. One for Carolina, and then one later in the game for Arizona, and the ball is snapped like five, six feet or something over Kyler Murray's head. Uh, What's up with the aggressive play calling in this weird game? Was this a do-or-die game? Is that how it was perceived by the coaching staffs? I mean, Matt Rule and Cliff Kingsbury, obviously you don't want to drop to one and three, and perhaps neither of them feel an immense amount of job security. But Kingsbury, they were in the playoffs last year. And Matt Rule, I mean, your QB's not really playing great. I mean, is he the worst quarterback in the league? No. Is he is he getting tremendously outplayed by a guy like Russell Wilson? Not really. 
so, I don't know. I guess it was must win, and Arizona came away with the win. Keeping it pushing. Rapid fire, as I said. Sunday night football. Wow, Kansas. Look, I'm going to have to put out my mea culpa here, right? Beginning of the year, you can go back to the episodes. We don't take them down. I made my predictions, and I told you in the AFC preview episode, I was leaning towards having Kansas City missing the playoffs. Can you believe that? Yeah, me neither. Um, I was leaning towards that. And then I came to my senses as we pushed towards the Super Bowl preview episode, right, where I was doing all the end-of-year awards and things like that, because I was like, well, I mean, it's Kansas City. It's real hard for Kansas City to not find a way into the postseason. Okay, fair enough. However, did I expect this Kansas City team to walk into Tampa Bay and hang four TDs on them in the first half? No, I did not. Tom Brady ends with 385 and three touchdowns. It would shock me. I mean, it was not a close game. I'll give them this. Tampa Bay didn't quit, right? I mean, you look at the stats per Google here, Google statistics. Um, I mean, playoff Lenny gets three carries for negative three yards, and it's not because Lenny wasn't in the game. He had seven grabs for 57. It's because it was, you know, it was 28-17 at halftime. This was, you know, arena football scoring. Patrick Mahomes goes for 249, three touchdowns, and they ran the ball. I don't know why I've become, you know, Mike Ditka as I get older and as I do this show every year, where I'm preaching that teams need to run the ball more to keep the other team honest, to do this, that, and the third. But, like, legit, run the football, guys. Just run the darn football. I mean, look at this. Clyde Edwards-Elair goes 19 carries for 92 yards. Pacheco chips in 63, and there was, you know, the Sunday night crew was talking about how they kind of felt like Pacheco was going to have a bigger role as the season went on. You got some scrambles from Mahomes. Not too much out of my boy Jarek McKinnon, but he's still in there. They've run, in the past, they've even had some plays to Mecole Hardman or Pringle when he was there. Sky Moore, like, there's some trickeration that can go on. And Andy Reid knows how to run the football, and this has been the bugaboo, or at least it was for years in Philly at least, that he'd fall in love with the pass and they wouldn't really run the ball as much and yada, 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 and I get that. But at the end of the day, they ran the ball down the throats of one of the best defenses in the league. And then Travis Kelsey, who everybody knew would be their leading targeter, targeted wide receiver, I should say, still walks away with nine catches for 92 and a touch. Marquez Valdez-Scantling chipped in a handful of catches for Juju. You're not going to be able to replace, quote-unquote, Tyreek Hill, but if you can supplement your passing game with more of a running game, as, you know, a few years ago they were inclined to do, Kareem Hunt was their lead back, and he was a pretty darn good one at one point. Clyde Edwards-Elair is a pretty good running back. Pacheco has potential. McKinnon is explosive. This is a scary Chiefs team. Like, You know... I've, in a matter of weeks, I've gone from, eh, you know, not saying the Chiefs quote-unquote dynasty, because you can't have a dynasty without more than one ring, not saying their their reign of supremacy was, com- you know, over, 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 like they're going to be in the doldrums, to now I'm thinking, well, they just beat up on Tampa Bay, so who in this AFC can really keep up with a Chiefs team that's playing at that level? Peak Chiefs can still beat anybody in the league, and that's impressive to me. 
Takeaways from the Buccaneers, not much. I mean, you got punched in the mouth. That's life. Um, Monday Night Football, Rams 49ers. I am very concerned about the L.A. Rams. I think we talked about this also in the preview episodes. You guys really shouldn't miss those. We do them like two or three a year. They're not super long, but we really do touch on a lot of things, and every once in a while I get a decent idea. We talked about the Matthew Stafford elbow thing, and it was pushed away, right? It was shushed away almost as like, ah, it's not that big of a thing. Don't worry about it. It won't be that big of a deal. And I'm thinking, all right, I mean, I guess this Rams offense, whether it's because of Stafford's elbow or a little bit of rough scheduling, I guess, to start the year, but it really hasn't been that rough. I mean, they, they played the Falcons guys like their offense hasn't looked phenomenal. And Jalen Ramsey has not looked very good either. I mean, you, you could probably date this all the way back to the Super Bowl when, I mean, on the last play, Chase had him beat. If Burrow had time, they don't have rings on their fingers, right? Joe Burrow would be Hall of Fame track just off that alone, um, you know, as they did with Mahomes. Early career Super Bowl, boom, fast track to the, to the Hall of Fame. Uh, neither here nor there. I'm not... I don't know if I want to put too, too much stock in this because San Francisco has beaten them a whole bunch of times in a row. But Debo Samuel looks solid, you know. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo did what Jimmy Garoppolo does, but at the end of the day, it was Matthew Stafford just not being able to put anything together. The running game didn't go anywhere, right? I mean, Cooper Cup put up a whole bunch of stats, and Tyler Higby had a pretty darn good game, but where's Allen Robinson? We, we talked about this last year and the year before. Everybody was super high on Allen Robinson, and I said, I don't see it, I don't see it, I don't see it. And then, you know, he goes to the Rams, and I'm like, well, I mean, Sean McVay's a pretty bright guy, and uh, their GM's a pretty bright guy, so I mean, I guess if Allen Robinson is that dude, I'm, I'm just the only one not seeing it. And here he is in the Rams' offense, and he, you know, could have fooled me. You're, you're telling me Odell Beckham on crutches couldn't go out there and get uh, two catches for seven yards? You, you couldn't... Uh, you couldn't get Tory Holt out there, two catches for seven yards. Isaac Bruce not available. You know, I'm flabbergasted at the lack of production from people not named Cup. Um, I don't know. I don't think they were like a one-year wonder or anything. I don't think Matthew Stafford is, you know, I wouldn't say like over the hill or anything crazy. But at the same time, it is worth noting that you know, he did have that elbow injury and there were some question marks about this offense. And now I am slightly concerned that this Rams team is, uh, not in a good spot. I mean, San Francisco with Jimmy G, you know what you're going to get out of that team. The Cardinals, I don't know. And oh, by the way, Seattle's also two and two. This is the only division in the league. Honestly, the only division I can ever remember through four games where the entire division is 2-2. Two and two. Everyone is in the race. So, I guess if you're the Rams, that's not the worst thing in the world because you already played the Bills, and that's probably your hardest game of the season. You already played San Francisco once, and it was in San Francisco, but not what you want for the defending NFL champions. Alrighty. That was a long number one. Let's catch our breath real quick. Moving to number two in the standout seven. And the reason I had to do that to speed through real quick to not do the bigger story, usually in the bigger story we get to talk about, what, six different games? 
right? And that's one through three in the standout seven. Now, granted, this is all shenanigans made up rundown, right? We're we're not a, a formal sort of like pardon the interruption or first take short of show where you got to see the graphics on your screen and we got to segment it and we got to get to ads and blah, blah, blah. We're not doing that, right? But in terms of my format, it's usually one through three. And we discussed that bigger win, bigger loss, bigger story, blah, blah, blah. You get the shtick. So right there, we went through five games, but I wanted to leave room for these other topics to breathe. S- namely, number two here, the follow-up to the Tua Tonga-Vailoa story. So, we talked about it last week, and I talked about how it was kind of shocking slash jarring to see what happened. Not saying the NFL has always had the player's best interest at heart, particularly in the health arena, but to see his injury against Buffalo and then for them to say, oh, it's a back injury, and you go, all right, maybe he's got some dead leg, maybe he's got some weird nerve condition, and then we've talked about it, the aftermath of what happened against Cincinnati, which I have never seen on a football field, if I'm being completely honest. I mean, I've seen players knocked unconscious. I've seen players unable to move their legs. I've seen bones shifting through parts of people's bodies. But I can't remember a time where I saw something resembling what happened to Tua Tungavailoa in regards to the motions he was making with his hands, presumably involuntarily. Anyway, reportedly... The independent practitioner or doctor or evaluator, whatever you'd like to call him, uh, was fired by the NFL Players Association, which is fascinating because that's a clear indication that upon review, at least early review, they believe that there was some misgivings in the procedure that was put into place. Then, there is the news that, and this happened just today, that the NFLPA and the NFL are immediately, immediately as in, I believe, this week, immediately going to be changing the concussion protocol. This week, per The Athletic here, the NFL Players Association has agreed to change concussion protocols in the wake of Miami quarterback Tua Tagovailoa's September 25th concussion check. The NFLPA board and executive committee said in a statement released Friday, it's unclear at this time how the protocols will specifically change, but the PA's statement said the changes are intended to protect players from returning to play in the case of any similar incident to what we saw on September 25th. We would like these changes to go into effect before this weekend's games to immediately protect the players and hope the NFL accepts the change before then as well. The NFL said in a statement that it agrees to those changes and it believes that these are necessary to further enhance player safety. Um, this is fascinating to me, both because the idea of it being an independent neurologist was very important, considering we had the fallout with the Ben and Omalu stuff and, you know, concussion, like the doctor from the movie with Will Smith. The fallout of those things, and as we've gotten further into CTE and things like that, the more we know about it, the more impacts we've seen on people, right? Former athletes, both in the NFL sphere and in, I believe, wrestling as well. Um, It's interesting to me that you'd have an independent neurologist um, who either, either he skirted these rules, 
he perhaps, and I'm not saying it was at the suggestion of the team, I'm not saying it was at the suggestion of the player, but clearly this was not followed properly and or the procedure itself that's been in place, by the way, did not somehow protect Tua Tonga-Vailoa. So my thought would be immediately, by the way, does this open up the door to a potential malpractice suit? I mean, we talked about a few weeks ago, Tyrod Taylor, and obviously he had the injection and had punctured his lung, and he's suing the LA Chargers. Well, if this is an independent doctor, I, I tend to think Tua has at least, I hope, considered potentially waging some sort of legal action against this doctor and or whatever clinic he may have or and or anyone else involved, if I'm being completely honest, because this is something that can change his life. This is not, oh, you said I had a tweak knee, so I went back out there and I tore my ACL, yada, yada, yada. It ruined my career. It did this, it did that. No, this could be a situation where Tua could be 50, 60 years old and still be feeling the impact of what happened these past few weeks. This is genuinely serious. And kudos to the NFLPA and the NFL for acting quickly, but I, realistically, I think we need... And look, I, when I say we need, I mean the general public. Somebody needs to get to the bottom of this. I'm not saying, you know, some reporter's got to go hack into something or whatever. We've had issues with medical things before. We've seen that, right, with the Jason Pierre-Paul thing. But somebody's got to get this doctor's side of it. It's going to it's gonna come out eventually in a court of law, I tend to think. Unless there is a clear, you know, agreement in place between the doctor himself and the employing body that I am giving this medical advice, but you can't sue me, which would be bizarre. Not unheard of, but bizarre. Um, either way, I think this needs to be uncovered fairly quickly. Number three in the standout seven, I wanted to talk about the NFL's Basement Barbarians. Now, what do I mean by the Basement Barbarians? Well, what I mean are teams like the New York Football Giants, sitting at 3-1, and one, teams like Seattle, sitting at 2-2, two and two, teams like the Chicago Bears, sitting at 2-2. Two and two. I would even throw in the Lions at 1-3. The Falcons, sitting at 2-2. Two and two. The Jets somehow sitting at 2-2. Two and two. The Browns, aforementioned. The Jaguars are 2-2. Two and, two. and an interesting quote from the GOAT himself, Thomas Brady. Um, Tom asked about the parody in the NFL with so many teams currently at 2-2. Two and two. Tom Brady said, I think there's a lot of bad football from what I watch. Um, I think he's right, if I'm being completely honest. Is that... Is that the, the king of football making a decree about the nation from Tom Brady's throne? No, but genuinely, you take a look at some of these teams, and, I mean, look, should the Jets be 2-2? Two and two? Like, Cleveland completely collapsed that one away. But is Cleveland good enough to be 3-1? and one? Is that what we're doing? I mean, is Jacksonville good enough to be 2-2? Two and two? Mm. You take a look, I mean, they almost came back and beat Philly. Uh, they blew out the Chargers. Uh, they almost came back and beat the Commanders. I do like parody. I will say this. I enjoy parody, um, especially when you consider the lack of parody in some of the other sports, right? You look at Major League Baseball, the, the idea of tanking, quote-unquote, 
is welcome in baseball because in part of the salary cap and the situation where the best teams are spending so much money that it's like, all right, well, we're not going to be able to compete with that kind of payroll in the situation that we're in right now. So let's not bother. Whatever. It's okay. We'll go out and lose 100 games four years in a row. Maybe we'll be a decent playoff team after. Maybe all of us will get fired and the next regime will fix it. Um, Either way. Basketball, obviously, they introduced the play-in tournament to try to incentivize this middle class of contender. And I think football's always had a pretty decent middle class of contender. Um, But this year, this is, I mean, I can't remember a season where we were entering week five with one undefeated team and only one winless team. And the winless team has a tie. I mean, that's, that's... Pushing into everybody gets a trophy territory. The scheduling... Look, I, I like to, you know, occasionally joke and rip the the scheduling people, but evidently they're doing something right. If the whole league is pushing towards middle of the pack, the teams that are good are getting hard games and knocking each other off. The teams that are bad are knocking each other off. Um, wanted to touch on the Brady thing, and the reason I wanted to bring up the Basement Barbarians is how do we evaluate... and. and me here and you guys at home, let me know. How do we evaluate some of these teams? So let's start where we started before. The New York Football Giants. The New York Football Giants have scored 76 points in four games. That is not nearly enough to be a legitimate playoff team. They are not close right now, offensively, to being good enough to keep up with the Philadelphia Eagles. They couldn't keep up with Cooper Rush in the Cowboys, let alone Dak Prescott in the Cowboys. I'd be intrigued to see if they can keep up with the Washington Commanders even. So I would say pretender status, fairly certain. The Seattle Seahawks, again, fairly certain they are a pretender, right? But, I mean, I've seen articles where they say, oh, rising stars in the league, Geno Smith, how, how can he be a rising star? What, he, he just figured it out? Geno Smith just figured it out, guys, he did it. He found a way at 32 years old to figure out how to play quarterback in the NFL. No. No, he didn't. He did not. I mean, they beat Denver, which is great. You know, that's their biggest game of the year. And then they beat Detroit, who has the worst defense in football. I mean, they lose to the Falcons at home. Like, the Falcons are not good. You know, people like to talk about Seattle as being this this kind of a sleeper team. And by people, I mean, as I said, I've seen articles about it. Um, I mean, I think Atlanta's every bit as good as them, if not better. The fact of the matter is, I mean, the thing that gives the edge to Seattle, in my opinion, is Pete Carroll on the sideline, along with DK Metcalf when he's not riding the cart to go use the bathroom, and Tyler Lockett, two experienced, you know, and very skilled wide receivers. Obviously, Atlanta doesn't have that, but Drake London as a young target is good. Kyle Pitts hasn't really shown up this season, but I tend to think eventually they'll work him into the offense. And Cordero Patterson has revitalized his career in ways that I didn't even think was possible. So, I tend to think Atlanta is, you know, considering the divisions, Seattle has to face the Rams, who are slumping but are still the defending champions, the 49ers, who play everybody tough, the Arizona Cardinals, who, I mean for a team that's missing their best wideout, has looked decent, right? They snuck away with a win from the Raiders that they had no business winning. I think that's a harder division than the South, where you've got Jameis Winston playing through 17 Mike Tyson-esque back injuries, and Carolina, who thought they had a decent chance to have discovered a QB, and, well, 
at one and three, let's just say they're on the fence. And then you have Tom Brady, who's somehow two and two with both losses coming at home. So I'm not saying Atlanta's going to win that division, but Atlanta's got a better chance of making the postseason, I think, than Seattle. You take a look at a team like Chicago. You know what? We're going to skip Chicago because we're going to talk about Justin Fields later. We're going to skip Chicago for now. Let's head over to the American Football Conference. Let's talk about the Jets. The Jets are not, and I don't even think they're a pretender. They're not even close to anything, I would say, in terms of contention, right? I mean, they sneak away with a win on the road, which is a good win. It's a good win for them against Pittsburgh. It's always hard to win down at not Heinz Field. But if we're being honest, I think if Pickett starts that game for Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh wins that ball game. They do. And if you remember, picking the game last week, and I can check back if you'd like, I picked that game and I said, I'm taking Pittsburgh at home. However, I'd be more confident if Pickett were under center. Mitchell Trubisky is just one of those dudes that it's hard to be very confident when he is your quarterback. It's just the way it is. Continuing the basement barbarians. Uh, Should we touch on Denver? We've done them enough. Cleveland. Cleveland has an elite rushing attack with Chubb and Kareem Hunt and a pretty darn good defense. That's probably enough to be a pretty decent playoff contender. However, the problem is the strength of that division. They're going to have to face Baltimore. They're going to have to face Cincinnati. And, you know, with Pickett there, who knows what Pickett can do against the Cleveland defense. But that's a really hard one for me. I like them a lot more than some of these other teams, though, because they have a guy like a Nick Chubb, who's one of the better running backs in the NFL, right? Um, And you take a look at the AFC South. This thing is a clown fiesta. Um, I haven't really been impressed with Jacksonville much. I mean, their defense has been pretty good, but I still see Trevor Lawrence making some rookie mistakes, even though he's in his second year. Um, Like I said, I give him a, a mulligan on the first year. He's allowed to make some rookie mistakes this year. But next year, he's really going to have to step up. You'd, if you're a Jaguar fan, you'd really hope it was this season. But you do what you got to do. Um, I'm not a big believer in that Jaguars team, if I'm being honest. Alrighty, so with our little miniature pretender contender segment out of the way, let's move into number four in the standout seven. Let's talk about the debut of Kenny Pickett in Pickettsburg. Um... I don't know if I've ever been, I don't, I don't want to say more impressed. I don't think he played a fantastic game, but I don't know if I've ever been this impressed with a guy that goes zero touchdowns, three interceptions. I mean, he goes 10 for 13. Every pass he threw was completed. You have the one downfield to Claypool, which is just, it's just not his fault. It hits Claypool in the hands. I mean, it was a pretty darn good throw. It was a competitive throw. From a rookie QB playing in his first career game, what more can you hope for than I made a competitive throw? I gave him a chance to catch the football. Mix in the fact that he somehow found a way to run for two touchdowns in this game. Um, Najee Harris looked pretty good. I mean, the Jets defense obviously was selling out to stop the run a little bit. Um, I don't think the Pittsburgh defense did much wrong in this game, if I'm being completely honest. Your quarterbacks turned the ball over a combined four times. Um, and you gave up 24. And oh, by the way, they're talking about Zach Wilson, and they're saying, oh, he was 5-for-5 five five on that final drive. And it's like, look, 
it's I don't want to poo-poo it because Zach Wilson has upside. He could be a pretty good NFL quarterback. And when any quarterback leads a game-winning drive, the stats are usually pretty good on that drive. You know, how many game-winning drives does Derek Carr have? Is Derek Carr anywhere close? In, has he ever been in his career, other than the one season when he got hurt? Remove the one season. Has he been anywhere close to being a top-five passer in this league? And the reason I ask that, and it's an unfair question, the reason I ask that is when you draft a quarterback high, that's presumably what you're hoping for. We're going to talk in a little bit about something related to this, right? So when you draft a quarterback that high, you want him to develop into being a franchise guy, and you want team success. So what about, let's say, oh, 5 for 5. Before that drive, he was 13 for 33. Is that impressive to you for a second-year quarterback? He's 13 for 33. That's worse than Daniel Jones. Like, that's awful. That's genuinely bad. Pittsburgh's got a good defense. I'm not saying the kid played, you know, the worst game of his career against an awful team or anything. But let's be honest, folks. Like, come on. What are we expecting here out of Zach Wilson in his second year in a game that should be winnable? I picked Pittsburgh because I thought he wouldn't play well, and he didn't. That's the way it is. I didn't expect four turnovers out of the other QBs when he only made two. I also didn't expect Chase Claypool, as I said, to give one away. But neither here nor there. Where's the growth? You know, we're four games in. Maybe by the end of the year he will be that guy. Joe Burrow in the second year. Hard comp, I know. Joe Burrow in the second year goes from a guy that was a decent rookie and then he gets hurt. Okay, now he's Joe Burrow, and he's making a run, 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 right? I mean, I believe we saw Dak Prescott as a rookie make the run, run, run. We saw Robert Griffin, and we'll get to him later, make the run as a rookie. I don't know. Jet fans, let me know. Zach Wilson not winning me over. Number five in the standout seven. We got to speed through because we got to get to the pick'em portion soon enough. Uh, got a quote for you, Chicago Bear fan. Um, let's see, this is brought to you by Action Network HQ, very famous gambling post in the sort. Um, reporter, why isn't the passing game working? Justin Fields, who says the passing game isn't working? Reporter, the stats, Justin Fields, the stats don't matter. Um, I can respect this take, and maybe you didn't expect me to say that. I can respect the take that the stats don't matter, we're 2-2, two and two, right? However, what the heck is going on? Because Justin Fields is way better in terms of talent than 34 for 67 with two touchdowns and four picks. And you know what? Maybe I'm wrong, Bear fan. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you look at his first year of his career and you go, well, I mean, he started 10 games. He played in 12. He was closer to 60% completion percentage, but who cares? He threw seven touchdowns and he had 10 interceptions. And if you're of that opinion, then, like, what's the point of starting him? Right? If, you, if you're of the opinion he should be throwing 67 passes in four games, like, those are Tim Tebow numbers. Like, why don't you just trade him at that point? Somebody's got to be interested, right? Why don't you just trade him? Why didn't you cut bait with him? Why, why am I not hearing more out of the locker room of people, you know, complaining 
that the passing game isn't getting it done? Why isn't it leading shows like we saw with, you know, Denver, the Denver Broncos and Tim Tebow? Um, I think Justin Fields can throw the ball. I think he has the skills to develop into an NFL quarterback. What I also think, however, is that this receiving core is not very good. And I know people are saying, wherever you're saying it, oh, well, Darnell Mooney's pretty good. Darnell Mooney is pretty good. And Cole Komet is pretty good. Um, but I haven't really seen too, too much out of them this year at all. Because the offense, schematically, seems to just be, let's run the football and hope that we don't make mistakes. Let's throw the ball sparingly. Let's lean on the defense. I mean, that's Chicago Bears football from, like, the 80s. But, I mean, even with Mitch Trubisky, they took chances. Maybe that's the direction the team wanted to go. Maybe that's why they hired this coach, Matt Eberflus. I don't know. Um, I, I didn't think. You know, I mean, who did they bring in as their offensive coordinator, actually? Let me take a peek. Luke Gelsey. Excuse me, Getsy. Um... Luke Getzey, excuse me, the passing game coordinator slash quarterback coach, formerly of the division rival Green Bay Packers. <sighs> I'll tell you this much. If Justin Fields continues to average, what what is he, he's at 67 passes in four games, that's about 16, 17 passes. If he averages under 20 passes a game by the end of the year, Mr. Getzey will not be the OC next year. Because you invested a first-round draft pick into a QB that you're not letting develop. If he's going to make the mistakes, let him make the mistakes. I mean, you got to at least try. You can't punt on it already. It, your team isn't good enough. And I'm not saying, oh, well, blah, blah, blah. Your team's got to be this. It's got to be that. No, I mean, quite literally, your team is not good enough to not have a passing game. You have to at least try it. If you're tanking... All right, well then, what what the hell's the point of having the kid on the team? What are you tanking for? You're tanking for a high pick so you can trade it, so you can build around him? That doesn't make any sense either. I, I'm very confused. I'm not saying his skills would atrophy or something like that, but if you throw the ball, let's see, 17 times a game, what is 17 squared? My math major's out there. Just under 300 passes. I mean, that's a slow week for Josh Allen. If he goes the whole year throwing under 300 passes, I, how can you trust them as your starting QB going forward? You just haven't given him the chance to try and show that he can do it. I don't know. This, this is bizarre to me. I, I, I can't remember a situation like this before. Let me, let me know what you think. If anybody remembers, you know, maybe back in the Jamarcus Russell days or Ryan Leaf did this, like, let me know. Because this is weird to me in a litany of ways. Number six in the standout seven. This one might be. This one might wind up in the title of the episode, if I'm being honest. This is the not so definitive Blake Bortles bust retrospective. Blake Bortles, for those of you who don't know, reportedly officially retired at some point. I saw one person say it happened over the offseason and no one noticed. That was kind of rude. But uh, I also saw it said that he did it over this past week. So let's get to Blake Bortles. Blake Bortles ends his career with 73 career starts. He goes 24 and 49, 103 touchdowns, 75 interceptions. I am going to make the argument to you, or at least I'm going to try to, that Blake Bortles was not a bust. I know, that's hard. 
That's hard. Let's take you back. Go back in the Wayback Machine here. 2014. The NFL Draft. First overall pick is Jadavian Clowney. He looks like he's going to be a fearsome Lawrence Taylor-esque pass rusher for the Texans. He is not that. He's not. Arguably busted on that. He's a pretty good player, but he's not that. Number two, Greg Robinson on the Rams. Lineman. Didn't pan out. Number four, Sammy Watkins in Buffalo. Decent receiver. Number four pick? Come on. Raiders take Khalil Mack. Bang. Home run. Right? They wind up having to trade him. Number six, Jake Matthews to the Falcons. O-lineman. Tampa Bay takes Mike Evans at seven. Bang. Home run. Justin Gilbert goes eight to the Browns. Number nine, Anthony Barr to the Vikings. Decent player. Right? Eric Ebron, 10 to the Lions. Decent player. 11, Taylor Lewan goes to the Titans. Great player. Still on the team. Injured this year, but still on the team. 12, Odell Beckham. Pretty god gosh darn good player. Didn't work out there. 13, Aaron Donald, Hall of Fame caliber player. 14, Kyle Fuller to the Bears. 15, Ryan Shazier, career cut short. Steelers. 16, Zach Martin to the Cowboys. 17, CJ Mosley. My point is, we get to number 22. We don't have to go through all of them. Johnny Manziel to the Browns. Bust. Right? Teddy Bridgewater, 32 to the Vikings. Takes him to the postseason. Did the job. Derek Carr, number 36. Second round, fourth pick. Oakland Raiders. Pretty good. Could you have had Derek Carr? Yeah, you could have. But Derek Carr slipping that far tells me that nobody was interested in Derek Carr in the first round. They were interested at the tail end with Johnny Manziel and Teddy Bridgewater sneaking in at the end of the first round like another Louisville QB would in years to come. I am going to argue Blake Bortles was not a bust because the Jacksonville Jaguars as a franchise, right? Not the most successful since becoming members of the NFL. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, in the years preceding Blake Bortles' career beginning... They had missed the postseason seven times in a row. Seven times in a row, no winning records. One 500 record. One. Prior to that, they went to the divisional round with David Garrard. They lost. Two years prior to that, lost the wild card round with Byron Leftwich. Then you have to go all the way back to 1999. With Mark Brunel at the helm for their four-pack of playoff appearances. The reason I say, when you throw in all the context, Blake Bortles was not a bust for the Jacksonville Jaguars is they had their only 10-win season in the last 15 years with Blake Bortles at quarterback. Additionally, they had within... One half. A Super Bowl berth in their hands. You remember in the second half of that game against New England, I believe, they still had the lead at Foxborough. Going into the fourth quarter, this game is 17-10. 17-10. How did Bortles play in that game? 23-36, 293 and a touchdown. No interceptions. One fumble, but it was recovered. How did Tom Brady play in that game? 
26 of 38, 292 touchdowns. Those stats are comparable. In a game against the GOAT, at his stadium, Blake Bortles went toe-to-toe, and he played well enough to send them to the Super Bowl. Would they have beaten the Philadelphia Eagles? Maybe not. I don't know. However, Tom Brady didn't. Worth noting. Little jab in there for you, Tom. Not that he meant, not that he cares what I'm saying. Either way, a team that is this unsuccessful historically, consistently, perennially, using your first round pick that they didn't have to trade for, by the way. They had by way of their own awful play on a player who at least helps you and significantly contributes as your starting QB to you going to a conference championship game, not a bust. Not a bust. For example, by the way, while we're here, if you extend this logic to Mark Sanchez, it still applies. Mark Sanchez, a team that is perennially losing, right? Always hunting for that franchise quarterback, hunting for that guy, but never finding that guy, it applies. Mark Sanchez, good enough, not a bust. Heard here first. It's either in the description or the title. I haven't decided yet as we're recording the episode. Had to get it out there. Finally, before we move on to the pick'em portion, as we're already pushing into the 50-plus minute episode territory. Sorry, folks, it's going to be a long one. We're going to push over probably an hour ten unless we speed through the pick'em. Um, some beef going on between LaShawn McCoy and Robert Griffin on social media for no reason. Robert Griffin, who's now an analyst at ESPN for, I believe, college football and professional football, um, you know, criticizing Russell Wilson as is fair game because Russell Wilson was playing poorly. Um, and as you are inclined to do as an analyst, he was featuring stuff on his social media, on Twitter specifically. Um, and LaShawn McCoy, out of nowhere, off the top rope, goes, damn, bro, take it easy on him. You experience this moment a lot more than Russ. And I just I just don't know where that came from. Uh, RG3 replied, you still mad at me for outrushing you in a game? Or was it that I had more rushing touchdowns than you had rushing and receiving that year? Or for knocking you all out of playoff contention? You had a great career. Without injuries, I would have had a better one. To which I believe McCoy replied something like, oh, but, but injuries are a thing, or blah, 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 whatever. Um... I 100% lean towards Camp RG3 here because, I mean, what the man is saying is accurate. Robert Griffin as a rookie was far beyond what we see from rookie quarterbacks nowadays. I mean, you're talking about a guy that had a 66% completion percentage as a rookie. 20 touchdowns, 5 interceptions. You sprinkle in the fact that he was elite at running the ball. Is he what Lamar Jackson is now? But do you get to Lamar without RG3? Do you get to RG3 without Vic? Do you get to Vic without Cunningham? You know, like, how far back does it go? Do you get to any of them without Tarkenton, right? It, it's different models of the same vehicle, so to speak. Not to, you know, obviously they're people, but you get where I'm coming from here. You can't get to the Ferrari without the Model T. You know what I mean? In terms of being an efficient player... Robert Griffin, as a rookie, was up there with any rookie quarterback I've seen. I mean, as someone who's, you know, born and bred New Yorker, as I'll say over and over, hated playing him. 
You didn't want to play that guy. Even into the second season after the knee injury where you saw him start to regress because his body regressed on him, it was the the danger of remembering what he was and what he could have been. In a lot of ways, the, the RG3 story is is the Derrick Rose NBA story before the late career renaissance. It's it's the Sean Livingston story before he goes to Golden State to mix sports, obviously, um, as I am inclined to do. It's it's Brandon Roy-ish. Granted, Brandon, War, Brandon Roy had a lot more years. Um, it's going to be one of those big what-ifs always, as would Andrew Luck be. Andrew Luck required retired, excuse me, quite young as well. Andrew battled injuries. Andrew produced more because he was able to stay healthier longer. But I remember explicitly going into that draft, the constant debate of, well, is who's going to have the better career? Well, Griffin's got the explosiveness, but if he gets hurt, oh, I don't know. Oh, but if he stays healthy, imagine what he could be. He could be Michael Vick, but a better passer. Oh, but Andrew Luck is John Elway. Yeah, but what if he's Brett Favre? You know, going on and on and on. Um, I mean, you take a look at LaShawn McCoy's career, and he ran for 10,000 yards. Good career. Yeah, great career. Robert acknowledged that. I mean, you take a look. What? Just under a thousand all-purpose as a rookie, and then a thousand all-purpose yards pretty much every year until uh, the third year in Buffalo, and then Kansas City he didn't really do much, and then Tampa Bay he did even less than he did in Kansas City. Um, you know, two-time Super Bowl champ, sure, right? That's it's the way it is. He, he's Shady McCoy. He was on the. The all-2010s team, right? Was Shady McCoy ever the best running back in football? I, I, For my money, off of memory, I would say no, right? Was Robert Griffin ever the best quarterback in football? No, he had no chance, really. I don't know why Shady would take a shot at Robert like he's defending Russell Wilson. Do you have some kind of a kinship with Russell Wilson we don't know about? I mean, he's not an eagle. It doesn't matter to you. Does he think that Robert is overly critical I haven't seen that of Robert. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Let me know what you guys think. But he seems like a relatively thoughtful guy. He seems like a guy that doesn't necessarily take himself too seriously. Um, I mean, he even acknowledged that you had a better career than him. So I, Shady McCoy, in my opinion, just comes off looking like kind of kind of a, a bad dude. Why? What's the need to to you know beat somebody when they're down? Was, oh, Robert Griffin's not down. He's working at ESPN. He's got a job. Yeah, but you're talking about his career. You don't think that still bothers Robert Griffin? Look, as somebody, anybody, think of something that you want to accomplish in terms of a career. Think of something you wanted to do when you were younger, or if you're younger now, something that you want to do. Fast forward 10 years and imagine you can't do that. You couldn't. You hit a roadblock you could not surpass, and someone randomly is throwing that back in your face. I, I don't understand why why he would go there. I, I don't understand. Was there a beef when they were players that I didn't know about? I mean, I'm not saying I'm all-knowing. I'm not all-seeing, but I feel like we would have heard about it. I mean, Robert Griffin was going to be the star franchise quarterback of the then Redskins, and Shady McCoy was Shady McCoy. Okay. Kind of weird to me. Bad on Shady McCoy. Not gonna lie. Not gonna lie. Not that I was his biggest fan ever, really. I mean, I was impartial on him, honestly. But... Man, bad guy move. 
Alrighty, news and notes portion before we transition into the pick'em of this week's episode. Um, let's get started with some injury news. Bosa on the Chargers, that would be Joey, going to be out 8-10 to 10 weeks reportedly for growing surgery. Tua not going to go this week, duh, we talked about that. Cordero Patterson to IR, further hurting the pretending Falcons. Javante Williams, as we acknowledged before, torn ACL for the Broncos, huge injury. Um, Jonathan Taylor, it was questionable whether or not he would go. He did not go on Thursday Night Football. J.J. Watt had a press conference discussing a heart injury that he reportedly had, and he had to have his heart shocked back into the rhythm. Um, Very, very bizarre thing to hear about for a guy that, I mean, you look at him, sure he's had injury issues and things like that, but in terms of health compared to a normal human, you tend to think that some of the NFL players, at least, are some of the more healthy people on earth. It was very bizarre to hear about. Well wishes sent to him and his family. Um, Cole Beasley re-retired this week, which is interesting. Okay. Landon Collins is going to come back to the New York football giants in a safety slash linebacker role. Jeremy Chin of the Panthers to IR. Um, Bobby Wagner reportedly after tackling the protester on Monday night football, uh, there's been a police report filed and I don't think that'll really lead anywhere. Um, yeah, that'll take us to the end of the standout seven and get us into the pick and portion of this week's episode. My favorite part, your favorite part of every week's episode of the podcast. And we're going to get started in London part two with the New York football giants against the green Bay Packers. Uh, as the episode starts to stretch on, and we'll just be a little open here as we talked about, we're going to try and speed through some of these folks. So uh, let's get to it. Um, We'll touch on the injuries, but we'll only touch on potentially significant ones here. Um, The Giants, without their backup quarterback, Tyrod Taylor, still in concussion protocol. I hesitate to say Kenny Galladay's injury is a a significant one, but he will miss this one as well. Um, Kadarius Toney going to miss this one with a hammy. Wandale Robinson going to miss this one with a knee. Aziz Ojulari at linebacker with a calf, and questionable D-lineman Leonard Williams with a knee for the visiting team, the New York Giants. Um, Questionable for the Packers, their safety, Adrian Amos, with a concussion. Uh, I'm taking the Packers in this one for pretty obvious reasons. Uh, The Packers' offense has not been super impressive, but considering I think they should just be able to run the ball at the Giants and run for about a buck 75 to 200, win this one somewhere in the range of 31-17. If Daniel Jones is, you know, compromised with his mobility, on top of the fact that he's compromised with a lack of receivers, should be an easy one for the pack. Opening up the 1 o'clock window, the Detroit Lions head to New England to take on the Patriots. Patriots may or may not be led by Mac Jones in this game. Um, Lions injury report. DeAndre Swift going to miss this one again, as well as DJ Chark at wide receiver. Questionable, Amon Ross St. Brown and Josh Reynolds. Um, For the Patriots, they're listing Mac Jones as doubtful with an ankle right now. I could swear I heard that he had surgery, uh, but he's doubtful. Jonu Smith at tight end also listed as doubtful for questionable. Wide receiver Jacoby Myers, Jalen Mills in the secondary, as well as Kyle Duggar. And in the defensive front, Raquan McMillan at linebacker. Um, I'm taking Detroit in this game. Detroit hasn't been able to stop a nosebleed 
on defense. But if they're facing a backup QB, I think they should be able to. And uh, they've been putting up points like crazy. So you know what? Give me Detroit to pull off an upset, quote-unquote, on the road. Next, the L.A. Chargers head to Cleveland to take on the Browns. The Chargers going to be without wide receiver Keenan Allen with a hammy. Questionable, wide receiver Josh Palmer with an ankle and kicker Dustin Hopkins with a quad. The Browns listing just two is questionable, Jadavian Clowney with an ankle and Taven Bryan with a hamstring injury. Um, I'm on the fence. I think the Browns may be able to grind this one out with just running the ball and playing good defense and relying on, you know, that defense to keep this game close. But nonetheless, Chargers are the better team. Sometimes you got to pick the better team. Give me the L.A. to win this one on the road. Next, we got a battle of AFC South powerhouses as the Texans head to Jacksonville to take on the Jaguars. Um, the Texans going to be without tight end Brevin Jordan with an ankle injury. Uh, also questionable, D-lineman Jonathan Greenard with an ankle. The Jaguars listing D-lineman Foley Fatukasi is out with a quad injury. As questionable, linebacker Kalevon Chason with an ankle as well. Kalevon is really not turned into that player I thought he would. I mention this every time. It's kind of disappointing to me, but it is what it is. The NFL draft is inexact science. So, either way, Texans-Jaguars. Will the Jaguars finally allow the Texans to enter the ranks of the other 31 teams by allowing them to bring this one home on the road? I don't think so. I think Trevor Lawrence outduels Davis Mills and brings home the victory, and the Jaguars end this week over 500. Next, the Atlanta Falcons head to Tampa Bay to take on the Tom Brady-led Buccaneers. Falcons going to be without Kyle Pitts this week with a hammy. Buccaneers going to be without tight end Cameron Brait, who's in concussion protocol. D-lineman Akeem Hicks with a foot, and DB Logan Ryan with a foot. Questionable, two wide receivers, Brashad Perriman and Julio Jones. Taking the Bucks in this one. They're the better team. They're at home. They just got punched in the mouth, which means they're looking for somebody and they're angry. Give me them at home. The Pittsburgh Steelers, led by rookie QB Kenny Pickett, head to Buffalo to take on the Buffalo Bills. This is going to be a hard one. Um, Jordan Poyer, going to miss this one for Buffalo. He played last week. Dawson Knox, going to miss this one, as well as Jamison Crowder and Jake Kumaro at receiver. Questionable, Isaiah McKenzie at receiver. D-lineman Ed Oliver and Jordan Phillips are questionable, as well as Tremaine Edmonds at linebacker. For the Steelers, three injuries in the secondary, which is not where you want them against Buffalo. Aquilo Witherspoon going to miss this one with a hammy. Questionable. Cameron Sutton with a groin hammy. And Terrell Edmonds with a concussion. I'm taking Buffalo. I'm not saying this is really an upset alert game, but that injury report for Buffalo made me 10% more hesitant. It was it was 99-1 to 1 that I thought Buffalo would win. Now we're looking at 89. Uh, not a good list of injuries. Next, the Miami Dolphins head to New Jersey to take on the Jets. You know, we talked about it during the week. Well, actually, we didn't talk about it. But during the week, Tyreek Hill was talking about why he didn't go to the Jets. And part of the reason was the state taxes. So now he gets to go to New Jersey and inevitably ball out against the New York Jets. Obviously, we talked about two are not going to play in this one. Questionable, however, some big ones for Miami. Tyreek Hill with a quad. Jalen Waddle with a groin. Teron Armstead on the O-line with a toe as well as Robert Jones on the O-line with a back injury, and Xavier Howard with a groin. I'm still taking Miami, but the injuries again making me a little tentative. 
The next is an NFC North matchup from Minnesota where Justin Fields, I guess, leads the Bears. Will they let him throw? I don't know. Uh, Justin Fields and the Bears head out to try and, you know, make some ground against the division-leading Minnesota Vikings. Uh, the Bears listing just three players on their injury report. Doubtful. Two corners, Jalen Johnson with a quad and Dane Cruikshank with a hammy. Questionable, running back David Montgomery with an ankle. For the Vikings, they're going to be without tight end Ben Ellefson with a groin and questionable wide receiver Jalen Naylor and corner Andrew Booth with a quad. I'm taking the Vikings. Um, every time I pick them, I feel like they could lose. This time is no different, but Justin Fields hasn't shown me this year that they'll let him really take the reins. So if Justin Jefferson scores two touchdowns in the first half, this game might just be over by way of they don't throw the ball. Next, the Tennessee Titans head to D.C. to take on the not-footballers, the Commanders. Uh, laundry list of injuries for the Titans, and they're pretty significant. Traylon Burke, Traylon Burks, excuse me, a wide receiver, going to miss this one with a toe. Outside linebackers Ola Adeniyi and Bud Dupree going to miss this one. Other linebackers, Zach Cunningham and Joe Jones going to miss this one, and safety Imani Hooker as well. For the Commanders, they're going to be without wide receiver Jahan Dotson, O-lineman Samuel Cosme, and safety Percy Butler. Questionable, tight end Logan Thomas. Um, the linebacking core injuries for the Titans make me a little concerned that Antonio Gibson might have a pretty darn good game, but considering what I've seen out of this Commander's defense, the Titans should have enough firepower to win this one on the road. Next, the surprising Seattle Seahawks head to New Orleans to take on Jameis Winston and the Saints. Uh, the Seahawks listing a handful on their injury report. Out, wide receiver Derek Young. Questionable, wide receiver Marquise Goodwin. Running back Kenny Walker III and corner Justin Coleman. Saints going to be without their star wide receiver Michael Thomas with a foot injury. Doubtful is Jameis Winston with an ankle and a back. He didn't go last week. Will he go this week? We'll find out. Questionable, running back Alvin Kamara, wide receiver Jarvis Landry, guard Andrus Pete, and safety Marcus May. I think it's just too many injuries for the Saints. I'm going to take the Seahawks to win this one on the road, but it's a really hard place to win, so it wouldn't shock me if Geno Smith threw the ball to the other team and the Saints brought away a victory. We didn't even talk about London football last week, by the way. That was almost a crazy comeback. It ended with a double doink. We just didn't have enough time in this week's episode. That's a darn shame. Pushing into the 4 o'clock window, our lone 405 kick is a matchup between the 49ers and the Carolina Panthers. 49ers going to be without a handful of players, and some of them are name brands. Offensive lineman Trent Williams will not go with an ankle injury. D lineman Eric Armstead not going to go either with a foot and ankle injury, as well as Javon Kinlaw with a knee also on the D line. The Panthers... Listing a handful of players as questionable, including Marquise Haynes on the D-line, Frankie Louvu, who made an impact play last week for them um, at the outside linebacker position, and safety Xavier Woods. Um, considering this Panthers team couldn't take down the Cardinals, I have to default to taking San Francisco. I mean, this could be a gritty one. This could be like 21-17. I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo's really going to air them out. Um... It's a battle of Debo and McCaffrey, two X-Factor players. Let's see who comes out on tap, but I'll have to default to the Niners on the road. Next, we've got one of my favorite kinds of matchups. It is a battle of the birds, as the only 
undefeated team in the league, the Philadelphia Eagles, heads to Arizona to take on Kyler Murray and the Cards. Eagles going to be without their kicker in this one, Jake Elliott with an ankle injury, as well as corner Avante Maddox with an ankle injury as well. Uh, doubtful offensive lineman Jordan Mailata with a shoulder, as well as questionable running back Boston Scott with a rib injury. The Cardinals, oddly enough, are also without their kicker, as Matt Prater is going to miss this one with a right hip injury. Center Rodney Hudson is listed as doubtful with a knee and questionable Offensive lineman Justin Pugh with an elbow, DJ Humphreys with a hammy, and wide receiver Rondale Moore with a knee injury. Got to take the Eagles on this one. Seems like they're pretty darn hot, and uh, yeah, I think this Cardinals team is is not it. They're they're decent, but I just don't think when they're not at full strength, I can take them to take down what may be the best team in the NFL right now. Next, our second game in the 425. By the way, we're in the 425 window, if I neglected to mention that. Our second game in the 425 window is a pretty big matchup until you realize that Dak Prescott is probably not going to go. The Dallas Cowboys head to L.A. to take on the Rams. Actually, yeah, Prescott is listed as out for the Cowboys in this one with a right thumb injury, as we all expected. Um, Doubtful offensive lineman Jason Peters with a chest injury. Questionable, wide receiver CeeDee Lamb with a groin, and Tony Pollard. Out for the Rams, three offensive linemen, Brian Allen with a knee, guard David Edwards with a concussion, and Coleman Shelton, also a guard with an ankle injury. Questionable, two in the defensive backfield, safety Taylor Rapp with a rib injury, and DB David Long Jr. with a groin injury. Uh, I'm going to take the Rams in this one, but considering the injuries on the Rams O-line, it really feels like a game that the Dallas Cowboys could probably steal. Uh, you know what? No, I'm going to flip my pick here. I can't do it. I, after what I saw from the Rams last week, and considering what I've seen out of Cooper Rush, which is not the most impressive in the world, but good enough to win games, give me Dallas to sneak one away on the road. Our Sunday night football game is an AFC North showdown between the defending AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals and the Baltimore Ravens. For the Bengals, three listed on their injury report as questionable. Wide receiver T. Higgins with an ankle, tight end Hayden Hurst with a groin, and tight end David Asi-Asi with an ankle as well. For the Ravens, they're going to be without wide receiver Rashad Bateman with a foot, running back Justice Hill with a hammy, guard Ben Cleveland with a foot injury as well, and outside linebacker Justin Houston with a groin. Questionable, two big ones, left tackle Ronnie Stanley with an ankle, and Marcus Peters with a quad. Those are huge injuries. I I don't know. I mean, this Ravens team is good enough to beat anybody, but they also seem lackadaisical enough to lose to anybody. And for that reason, I'm actually going to take the Bengals to hand Baltimore their third home loss to a contender in as many attempts. Next, our Monday night matchup is an AFC West showdown between the Las Vegas Raiders, who are probably, what, they were the best best 0-3 team I've ever seen. They might not be the best 1-3 team. I'm sure that's a longer list. Uh, And the Kansas City Chiefs, who just ran roughshod on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the de facto favorite in the NFC. For that reason, it's got to be Kansas City. The Raiders will play them close. Kansas City has a penchant for playing these tight primetime games with division rivals. Maybe Devontae Adams makes a huge play to win it over, but 
I got to default to KC at home. And our Thursday night game, don't think I forgot, though some of you might be asleep through it, the Washington Commanders head to Chicago to take on the Chicago Bears. Um, quite honestly, if the reins were off and Justin Fields got to do Justin Fields things, I tend to think I might be inclined to pick Chicago, particularly because they're at home. However, I don't think the reins will be off, and Carson Wentz and this Commander's offense has actually put up some points here and there. Give me the Commanders to go into Chicago and win this one on the road. Alrighty, folks, that'll bring us to the end of this week's episode of the Necessary Roughness podcast, episode number 144, presented by Last Word on Sports. As I said, it was a longer episode. I know I don't want to take up too, too much of your guys' time. I don't want to stretch into, like, the 90-minute mark here. So we had a lot of content in the front end. We sped through the pick'em portion a little bit. We abbreviated the injuries, obviously, for fantasy football purposes. I encourage you, I implore you, look up the NFL injury report. It's on NFL.com. It's public knowledge. It's free, right? Check that out for all gambling purposes as well, if that's what you're into. Um, Thanks for joining us. Like I said, rough schedule this weekend. Apologies for uh, the way some things have turned out, but wanted to make sure you guys got the content for this week. Thank you again for joining us, whether it's your first time or your 144th time. I appreciate it. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic, signing off.